0: Chapter 4. A Description of My Personal Situation, that is, a description as to which of the three categories the grace and benevolence of God has chosen to place me in. God Almighty knows this fact, and He is the best of witnesses over every single thing, that the first thing which was granted to me in His path was a rightly inclined heart, that is, such a heart that had no real attachment with anything except the God of honor and glory. There was a time when I was young and now I have grown old, but at no time in my life have I had any real attachment to anyone except the God of honor and glory. It seems as if molvi Rumi composed these two couplets just for me. In every company I uttered my wailful notes. I consorted with those who rejoiced and those who were unhappy. Everyone became my friend from his own opinion, but none sought out my secrets from within me. Although God has been generous to me in everything and has blessed me with every provision and comfort, so much so that I find my heart and words were utterly powerless to thank him. The nature he has bestowed upon me is such that I have always been disillusioned by the mortal things of this world. Even when I was young and had just arrived at the crossroads of maturity, I was not lacking in the heat of love that one should have for the God of honor and glory. Owing to this very heat of love, I was not reconciled to any religion, the doctrines of which were in conflict with the majesty and oneness of God, or imputed any kind of insult. That is why I did not approve of the Christian faith, for in its every step there is insult to the God of honor and glory. It had deified a humble man who could not even help himself and considered him to be the creator of the heavens and earth. A temporal monarch whose sovereignty is transitory would never choose to live in humiliation. How, then, could the true kingdom of God be accompanied by such humiliation as imprisonment, flogging, being spat on, and finally, as the Christians believe, dying an accursed death, without which it was impossible for him to bring about the salvation of mankind. Footnote 1. The assertion that the Messiah willingly accepted an accursed death is refuted by his passionate supplications in the garden that the cup of death be passed from him, and his lamentation when he was put on the cross, meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he was indeed content with that death on the cross, why did he make supplications? And this notion that death of the Messiah on the cross was the mercy of God on mankind, and God was pleased to do this so that the world could find salvation through the blood of the Messiah, is rejected by the argument that if divine mercy was truly excited on that day, then why was there a terrible earthquake which caused the veil of the temple to be borne, And why was there such a severe sandstorm, and the sun became dark? All this, indeed, shows that God was greatly displeased with the crucifixion of the Messiah, and this is why he chased the Jews for 40 years, and they suffered various calamities. First they died of a severe plague, and at the end, thousands of Jews were killed at the hands of Titus, the Roman. Footnote end. Can there be any confidence in such a weak God? Does God suffer death like a mortal human? Besides, the Jews made filthy accusations against him, and even his mother, but that God was unable to exonerate himself by displaying mighty powers. Therefore, a reason cannot propose to accept such a God who himself died in distress and could do no harm to the Jews. There cannot be anything more absurd than to suggest that he willingly accepted death on the cross in order to redeem the sins of his people. The man who spent the entire night in tearful supplication in a garden to save his life, which was not even heard, and then he was so overwhelmed by panic that he cried out, Translation, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew chapter 27, verse 46 At the time of the crucifixion He addressed his God as God and forgot to call him Father in that extreme anguish. Now, considering all this, can anyone believe that he died by his own volition? Who can understand the contradictions in Christian theology? On the one hand, they believe Yasu to be God, while on the other, the same God is seen praying and crying before another God. Whereas all three gods were inside Yasu, and he was the embodiment of them all, To whom did he tearfully supplicate? It appears from all this that there is another mighty god for Christians, besides the godheads of the Trinity, who is distinct from them and rules over them, before whom the three were obliged to supplicate. Furthermore, the purpose for which the suicide was committed still remains unfulfilled. Footnote start. Unfortunately, after the first three centuries of the Islamic era, certain Muslim sects, adopted the belief that Hazrat Isa, peace be on him, escaped crucifixion and ascended to heaven where he physically resides to this day and he has not been afflicted with death. Such ignorant Muslims have greatly helped the cause of Christianity. They claim that there is no mention of the death of Isa anywhere in the Holy Quran when in truth it does mention it explicitly on several occasions. The verse but since she did cause me to die, chapter 5, verse 118, for example, is categorical about his demise. They claim that the worse, they slew him not, nor crucified him, chapter 4, verse 158, signifies that Hazrat Isa is still alive. Their reasoning for this is truly lamentable. Does a person who is not crucified never die? I have said again and again that the Holy Qur'an negates Esau's death by crucifixion and proclaims his ascension, not because God wants to prove that Esau is still alive, but to dispel the notion of his accursed death and to confirm that he was spiritually exalted like all believers. It was primarily meant to refute the Jews who did not believe in his spiritual ascension. Footnote end. His death was meant to free his followers from sin, worldliness, and worldly enticements, but the result has been quite the opposite. Before his suicide, the followers of Yasu sought godliness to some extent. But the more the doctrines of vicarious sacrifice and atonement was emphasized, the more the Christians became steeped in worldliness, worldly enticements, desire of the world, alcoholism, gambling, licentiousness, and illicit relations, The negative effects of his doctrine have been like the sudden collapse of the dam that had been built on a violent and stormy river with the resultant destruction of all surrounding land and habitats. Remember, too, that the abstinence from sin alone is not an accomplishment of any kind for man as thousands of worms, insects, animals, and birds refrain from committing any sin, yet they are not considered to have attained communion with God. The question, therefore, is... How did the Messiah's expectation serve to enhance human spirituality? Man is in need of two things in order to reach God. First, abstinence from evil, and second, the attainment of good deeds. Merely eschewing evil is not great feat. Thus, the crux of the matter is that these two forces have remained present in human beings ever since their creation. On the one hand, carnal passions lure them towards sin, While on the other hand, the fire of the love of God that is hidden in their nature incinerates the straws of sin, much like physical fire incinerates the physical straws and dried leaves. But ignition of the spiritual fire that incinerates sins depends entirely on the cognition of God because love and adornment for anything depends on acquiring its complete recognition. You cannot love something whose beauty and excellence you are unaware of. The knowledge of the beauty and excellence of the God of honor and glory ignites the fire of love for him, which in turn consumes sin. It has always been the practice of Allah to grant such knowledge to mankind through his prophets. Others get light from their light and acquire all the bounties that are bestowed on the prophets by following them. Sadly, Christianity has the door of cognizance of God close to its followers, for it considers communion with God, forever sealed, and heavenly signs to have come to an end. How then is one to acquire a fresh understanding? One is left to ruminate past accounts. Surely a faith whose God is weak and helpless, and which is entirely dependent on fables and myths, is of no value to an intelligent person. In the same way the Hindu faith, one branch of which is the Arya sect, falls far short of the truth. According to them, every particle of this universe is primordial and without any creator. Thus, the Hindus do not believe in the God without whom nothing came into existence and without whose support nothing can continue to exist. They also say that their Brahmishwar cannot forgive the sins of anyone. Such a belief implies that his moral condition is worse than of humans, for we are able to forgive those who transgress against us and we find the strength in us to willingly forgive the one who sincerely admits his fault, shows deep remorse for his action, resolves to bring about a change in his conduct, and repents before us with contrition and humility. In fact, we experience joy in forgiving. How is it, then, that the Parmeshwar who claims to be God lacks this noble virtue when those who have sinned are his own creation, and their faculties to commit sin are also from him. And how is it that he is not appeased unless he has punished them for many millions of years for a single sinful act? Is it possible to attain salvation or spiritual excellence under the rule of such a barmish Thus, I reflected deeply and found both these religions opposed to righteousness, It's not possible for me to recount in this work all the obstacles in the path of God and the hopelessness that is encountered in these religions. In brief, these two religions offer no guidance to that God who is sought by pure souls and by finding whom man can achieve salvation in this very life and the gates of divine light can be opened for him and perfect love can be generated through his perfect recognition. Instead, They lead to the pit of ruin. There are other religions in the world similar to them, but they all fail to lead to the one God, who has no associate. They leave the seeker in darkness. These are all the religions in the study of which I spent a great portion of my life. I reflected over their principles with utmost honesty and diligence, but I found them all distant and estranged from the truth. Indeed, this blessed religion, the name of which is Islam, is the only religion that leads to God Almighty, and is the only religion which fulfills all the holy demands of human nature. It is obvious that human nature expects perfection in everything, and since man has been created for the eternal worship of God, he cannot be content with some absurd fables concerning God, when his salvation lies in the recognition of that God. He does not wish to dwell in ignorance, but wants comprehensive knowledge of the perfect attributes of God, as if to behold him. This desire of man can be fulfilled only by Islam. Being veiled so strongly, those who crave worldly pleasures and are infatuated with the world being utterly veiled do not care for God nor seek his communion, because they worship the idol of materialism. But there is no doubt that one who frees himself of the idol of materialism and desires eternal and true bliss cannot be satisfied by a religion that only has fables nor can he get any satisfaction from it. It is only through Islam that such a person can find his satisfaction. The God of Islam does not shut the door of his grace upon anyone. He is inviting everyone with open arms to come to him and the door is open for those who eagerly run towards him with all their strength. I have, by the sheer grace of God, and not by any merit of my own, been accorded a full measure of the bounty which was bestowed before me on the prophets and messengers, al and the chosen ones of God. It would not have been possible for me to receive this bounty had I not followed the ways of my Lord and Master, the pride of the prophets, the best of mankind, Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa, the Chosen One, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Therefore, whatever I have attained, I attain due to this following, and I know through my true and perfect knowledge that no man can reach God except by following the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, nor can anyone have a share of the complete cognition. At this point, I would also like to point out what appears before all else to be the result of sincere and complete obedience to the Holy Prophet, May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Bear in mind that it is the rightly inclined heart, that is, the love of the world leaves the heart and it becomes desirous of the eternal and everlasting bliss. Subsequent to this, pure and perfect love of God is achieved as a result of this rightly inclined heart. And all these bounties are bestowed as a consequence of following the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, by way of his heritage, as Allah says, Tell them that if you love God, obey me, so that God may also love you. Chapter 3, verse 32 in the Holy Qur'an. Indeed, the profession of one-sided love is a blatant lie and pretense and idle talk. When a person truly loves God, then God loves him too. Then the breeze of acceptance swirls in the world for him. His love is put in the hearts of thousands, and he is granted a power of attraction, and he is given a light that always accompanies him. When a person loves God with sincerity and adopts him above all else, when everything besides God ceases to have any esteem or respect for him, Indeed, when he considers everything else to be worse than even a dead worm, then God, who sees his heart, descends upon him with his mighty glory. Just as a polished mirror reflects the sun perfectly, that it can be said figuratively and metaphorically that the same sun which is in the sky also resides in the mirror, in the same way God descends on such a heart and makes his heart the seat of his throne. This alone is the purpose for which man has been created. Those who were perfectly righteous have been called sons of God in the previous scriptures. That, too, does not mean that they were actually the sons of God. Such a thing would be blasphemous, as God is above and beyond sons and daughters. Such expressions mean that God had descended as a reflection in the clear mirrors of those righteous personages. The reflection of a person in a mirror is, metaphorically speaking, his son. For as a son is born of his father, a reflection is born of its original. Thus, when a reflection of the manifestations of God appears in a heart that is extremely pure without any remnant of stain, the reflection becomes, metaphorically, a son of the original. That is why Yaqub, Jacob, was called the son of God even the firstborn of God, in the Torah. And Isa ibn Maryam, Jesus' son of Mary, was called son in the Gospels. If Christians had confined themselves to describing Isa as the son of God, just as Ibrahim, Ishaq, Ismail, Yaqub, Yusuf, Musa, Daud, Suleiman, etc., were metaphorically called sons of God in the scriptures of God, there would have been no objection to it. Just as these prophets were metaphorically called sons of God in the book of previous prophets, so is the holy prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, called God in some prophecies. The truth is that all these descriptions are metaphorical. As expressions of love, none of those prophets is a son of God, nor is the holy prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God. Such expressions abound in the words of God. When a person becomes so absorbed in his love for God Almighty that his self disappears altogether, such expressions are applied to him in this state of annihilation, since in this state his own person ceases to exist altogether, as Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran. Tell these people, O my servants, despair not of the mercy of Allah, God will forgive all sins. Chapter 39, verse 54, the Holy Quran. It may be noted that in this verse, O my servants has been used in place of, O servants of Allah. While people are servants of God and not servants of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The expression has been used here in the metaphorical sense. Again, God says, Verily, those who swear allegiance to you indeed swear allegiance to Allah. It is the hand of Allah that is over their hands. Chapter 48, verse 11, the Holy Quran In these verses, the hand of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has been described as the hand of God, but obviously it is not the hand of God in the literal sense. Again Allah says, Therefore, remember Allah as you remember your fathers. Chapter 2, verse 201, the Holy Quran Thus, here God has been likened to a father. This metaphor has been used only to communicate certain similarities. The Jews have also been quoted in the Holy Quran as saying, We are sons of God and his loved ones. Chapter 5, verse 19. In response, God does not give any refutation of the word sons as being a blasphemous fall talk. Instead, we retorts that if they are indeed beloved of God, Then why does God chastise them? And sons is not even mentioned again. This shows that the beloved of God were in the language of the Jewish scriptures referred to as his sons also. My purpose of all this discussion is simply this, that Allah the Exalted has laid down a condition that for him to love anyone, such a one has to follow the holy prophet May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Footnote start. Here the question might arise that, if the objective is righteous deeds, what is the need to follow the Holy Prophet wasallam to attain salvation and acceptance? The answer is that one can enact good deeds only through the grace of God, and since God has, in His grand wisdom, appointed one individual as the leader and messenger and commanded people to follow Him, whosoever fails in this is not given the good fortune to perform righteous deeds. Footnote end. Accordingly, it is my personal experience that to obey the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him with a sincere heart and to love him, ultimately makes a person the beloved of God. God creates in his heart a burning for love for him. Then such a person renounces everything else and inclines towards God, and his affection and aspiration remain only for God Almighty. Thereupon, a special manifestation of the love of God falls upon him, and bestowing upon him the full essence of love pulls him towards itself with strong passion. He then overcomes his corporal passions, and extraordinary works of God Almighty appear as signs in his support and assistance in every aspect. I have presented an example of how to achieve the love of God by effort and application, but there are some individuals where effort, application, and hard work has nothing to do with their spiritual ranks. Even in the womb of their mothers, they have such a constitution that without any effort or striving or hard work, they love God instinctively, and they come to have such a spiritual connection with His Messenger, i.e., Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa, Sallallahu and they come to have such a spiritual connection with his messenger, i.e., Muhammad Mustafa, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that anything closer cannot be imagined. As time passes, their inner fire of love and affection for God continues to grow stronger, and with it grows the fire of love for the messenger of Allah. In all these matters, God becomes their guardian and guarantor. When that fire of love and affection reaches its climax. They fervently and passionately desire that the glory of God be manifested upon the earth, and this becomes their greatest delight and ultimate purpose. Thereupon, signs of God Almighty appear on the earth for them. God Almighty does not manifest his grand signs for anyone, nor does he give grand news of the future to anyone except to those who are lost in his love and are as desirous of the manifestation of his oneness and glory as he himself is. It is unique to them that special divine mysteries are revealed to them, and the unseen is disclosed to them with the utmost clarity. This special honor is not given to others. An ignorant person might think that some ordinary people occasionally see true dreams too. For example, some people dream that a baby girl or a baby boy is born in a particular household and the same happens, or they dream of someone's death and the person does in fact die, or see other small events in their dreams and they come true. I have already addressed this skepticism that these phenomena are of little significance, nor do they depend on any piety. Even many wicked and immoral people see such dreams regarding themselves or others, but true secrets of the unseen are only revealed to God's special servants, Their dreams and revelations differ from those of ordinary people in four ways. First, the majority of that which is revealed to them is extremely clear and very rarely ambiguous. The case with others is quite the opposite. Second, they experience true dreams and revelations so copiously that to compare them with other people would be akin to comparing the wealth of an emperor and a beggar. Third, The signs shown at their hands are so magnificent that no one can match them. Fourth, their signs attest to their acceptance by the divine and the love and succor of the true Beloved. It is quite evident that through these signs he wishes to reveal to the world how honored and close to him those chosen ones are, and to inspire people's hearts with their dignified status. However, those who do not have a perfect connection with God lack such things, on the contrary, the truth of some of their dreams or revelations is a trial for them, for it creates arrogance in their hearts, and they are ruined by arrogance. They begin to oppose the root that nourishes the branch. O ye branch, grant it that you are green and that you bear flower and fruit, but do not sever yourself from the root, or you will dry up and you will be deprived of all blessings, because you are only a part and not the whole. Whatever ye have is not yours, but is the grace bestowed by the root. Footnote start. It is also worth remembering that when a prophet or a messenger is appointed from heaven, a light descends from heaven corresponding to the grade of the talents, as a blessing of that prophet, and a dispersion of spirituality takes place. At such a time, everyone advances in experience of dreams, and those gifted with the capacity for revelations experience revelations, and minds become more perceptive of the spiritual truths too, just as when it rains, every part of the land receives its due share. The same happens when spring arrives with the advent of a prophet. The prophet is indeed the source of all those blessings, and he is the door to all the revelations and dreams people experience. For the world is transformed by his advent, and a light descends for all from heaven, and everyone partakes of it in accordance with his capacity. This light becomes the source of all dreams and revelations. The ignorant think that this is due to their own skill, when in fact that spring of revelations and dreams is opened up for the world only due to the blessing of that prophet. His time is the night of decree during which the angels descend. As Allah says Therein descend angels and the spirit with their Lord's decree concerning every matter it is all peace Surah Al-Qadr chapter 97 verse 5 to 6 the Holy Quran This has been the law of nature ever since God created the earth footnote end Now under the dictate of the verse and the bounty of your Lord proclaim Surah Duha chapter 93 Verse 12, the Holy Quran. I would like to state about myself that by placing me in the third of the aforementioned categories, God Almighty has granted me the blessing which is not on account of my endeavor but was bestowed upon me even as I was in the womb of my mother. He has shown so many signs in my support that if I were to count them one by one up to this day, July 16, 1906, I can declare in the name of God Almighty that they are in excess of 300,000, and if someone does not believe in my sworn statement, I can provide him with proof. Some of these signs are to do with occasions when God Almighty, in keeping with His promise, protected me from the evil of the enemy. Some of the signs are such that, in keeping with His promise, He fulfilled my needs and expectations on every occasion, And some are of the kind whereby he humiliated and disgraced those who attacked me in keeping with his promise. I shall humiliate him who designs to humiliate you. Some signs are of the kind in which, according to his prophecies, he made me victorious over those who filed lawsuits against me. Some signs are of the kind that pertain to the length of my ministry, For ever since the world was created, no imposter has ever been allowed such a long period of respite. Some signs are of the kind that become evident by observing the condition of the age, that this age is in need of an imam, spiritual head. Some signs are of the kind which represent the fulfillment of my prayers in favor of my friends. Some signs are of the kind which represents the effects of my prayer upon malicious enemies. Some signs are of the kind in which precariously ill patients were cured due to my prayer and their recovery was foretold. Some signs are of the nature whereby, for my sake and for my veracity, God caused a number of heavenly and earthly calamities to appear. Some signs are of the sort wherein many eminent people, who were from among the luminaries and ascetics, saw in my attestation dreams and saw the holy Prophet. Among them are al Nashin, the inheritor of a spiritual endowment, Sahibul Alam of Sindh, who had nearly a hundred thousand followers, and Khwaja Ghulam Farid of Jachran. Some signs are such that thousands of people pledged Bayt at my hand only because they were informed through dreams of my truthfulness and of my being from God, while some others did so because they saw the Holy Prophet wasallam in a dream and he told them that the end of the world is near, and that this man is the last khalifa of God and the promised Messiah. Some signs relate to certain eminent people who mentioned me by name even before my birth or before I came of age, and spoke about my being the promised Messiah. Among these are Nematullah Wali and Mia Ghulam Shah of Jamalpur, District Ludhiana. Some signs are such that their scope extends to the people of all nations and all lands and all ages, namely the series of prayer duels, many manifestations of which have been witnessed by the world. Footnote start. It would be enough for a fair-minded person to read what Malvi Ghulam Dastagir Kasuri wrote in his book, how he entered into a prayer duel with me in his own way and announced it in his treatise. Fede Rahmani, and how he met his end only a few days later. There is also the case of Jaragh Din, of Jammu, who entered into a prayer duel with me in his own way and prayed that may God bring death upon whoever of us was a liar. He died of plague only a few days later, along with both of his sons. Footnote end. After observing a fair number, I have for my part ended the call for Mubahla's but everyone who considers me to be a liar, deceitful, or an imposter, and rejects my claim of being the promised messiah, and regards the revelation vouchsafed to me by God Almighty as my fabrication, whether he is Muslim, Hindu, Arya, or follower of any other religion, he is of course at liberty to publish a written mubahla against me on his own accord. He should announce it in some newspapers, taking oath in the name of God Almighty that, I am fully convinced that this man, here he should write my name explicitly, who claims to be the promised Messiah is indeed a liar, and that these revelations, some of which he has written in this book, are not the words of God, but are all his fabrication. And I consider him with full conviction, on the basis of my profound insight and comprehensive consideration, to be an imposter, liar, and the jaw, deceiver. Thus, O God Almighty, if in your estimation this person is true and not a liar, imposter, disbeliever, and faithless, then may you, on account of my rejecting him and insulting him, send down some severe chastisement upon me. Otherwise, may you chastise him. Amen. This method of seeking a fresh sign is open to everyone and I declare that if after this prayer of Mubahla that should be publicly announced and published in at least three well-known newspapers, such a person who engages in this Mubahla under oath and with this stipulation should escape heavenly chastisement, everyone will have the right to conclude that I am not from God. No period needs to be fixed in this Mubahla. The only condition will be that such an event should take place that affects the heart. I will now record some of the revelations from God, along with their translation. Footnote start The arrangement of these revelations is varied on account of repetition because these sentences of the revelation from Allah have been revealed to me with different sequences at different occasions. Some sentences have been revealed to me perhaps hundred or even more times. Therefore, their reading is not uniform. It may continue to vary in future. It is the practice of God that His holy Word is revealed piecemeal, and flows on the tongue and springs forth from the heart. God then arranges these very pieces himself, sometimes placing the first piece at the end. It is his essential practice that it is his essential practice that all those sentences are not placed in a specific sequence; they are read in various ways as far as the sequence is concerned. Also, when a revelation is repeated, some of its words differ somewhat from the previous revelation. This practice is unique to God. He alone knows his secrets. Footnote end. The purpose of writing them is that anyone who wants to enter into a Mubahila with me should clearly reproduce all of these revelations of mine in the body of his mubahla article that should be published and stipulate in the published declaration that all of these revelations are human fabrications and not the word of God. Also, he ought to specify that he has studied these revelations with diligence and that he swears by God that this is human fabrication, i.e. this is fabrication of this man and he has not received any revelation from God the Exalted. Here, Abdul Hakim Khan, assistant surgeon Patiala, who revoked his pledge of allegiance to me and turned apostate is specifically addressed. Now we'll write those revelations as examples as follows.